Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. The title for today's message is a little on the nose, if you could, if you could imagine. We're going we're gonna to call today's message The Day After Christmas. Um, I could think of nothing more appropriate to speak on the day after Christmas than the day after Christmas, or more, more, more aptly, the days after Christmas. And I know this is the last Sunday of this year, and many of us have already started to think about New Year's resolutions and those things that, that we're doing and thinking about the ones we made last year that never quite came to pass, but we started off strong and we, we intended well. And I know there's all these things that are going on in, in, in our minds, but let me, think you, let me try to catch you up to my train of thought, if I can, for just a little bit on why I want to talk to you about the days after Christmas. Christmas season is about the advent. It's about the coming of Christ, this long-awaited Messiah, all that was built up and built up and built up, and then boom, this miraculous event, the birth of Jesus that we see. It's Emmanuel, God with us. And when you read scripture, there's a great deal mentioned and taught about Christ coming in the flesh and everything about this event was nothing short of miraculous. There was angelic visitation to Mary and Joseph on separate occasions leading up to this. There was a virgin birth. It was a dedicated star in the sky to guide the wise men. A host of angels appeared to the shepherds to announce the birth of the Messiah. It was a big deal. It was huge when Christ came. What about the day when Christ came to you? You remember that day? Sure, maybe there was no angelic visitation, maybe there was no dedicated star, but to you and the people around you, that was a miraculous moment, was it not? A miraculous moment. It was the highest of all highs, and, and just to remember on that moment, it was miraculous. You being born again was a big deal, just like that day when Christ came to you, just like he came to the world. But then what? Here's where I'm going. Then what? What happened in the days after Christmas? What happens in those days following your miraculous spiritual experience when the real world is still there waiting for you? The day after Christmas, what was it like living with a new Messiah in a world that had not changed? A new life in an old world world. And here's kind of our theme for today. What do you do when things have changed on the inside, but nothing has changed yet on the outside? How do you keep from being discouraged when the days that follow your conversion aren't as exciting as the days leading up to it? Can I tell you, that's all of us. That's all of us. And, and we see something very similar in scripture even with Jesus and his story. I, I, you could probably tell me what scripture says about the days and the events leading up to the birth of Christ, but how many of you want to grab a microphone right, that, right now and tell me what happens in the days that followed his birth? Anybody? Mm, yeah, it gets kind of vague. It's, there's, there's not a lot happening. We get this big, huge ordeal, and then it gets to very little anything, almost nothing of note, what takes place after Christ 
comes. I'm going to read several verses of scripture, and then I'm going to unpack this, and I think I'll have something that's encouraging for us today. Let's turn to Luke 2, 22 through 42. I'll put it up on the screen here. And this is the days immediately following the birth of Christ. You won't see a Hallmark movie um, made about this. Um, But here it is. The time came for Mary and Joseph to do what the law of Moses says a mother is supposed to do after her baby is born. They took Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord, just as the law of the Lord says, each firstborn baby boy belongs to the Lord. The law of the Lord also says that parents have to offer a sacrifice, giving at least a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So that is what Mary and Joseph did. At this time, a man named Simeon was living in Jerusalem. Simeon was a good man. He loved God and was waiting for God to save the people of Israel. And God's spirit came to him and told him that he would not die until he had seen Christ the Lord. I love examples in scripture where we see the Holy Spirit working and active in the lives of people before the day of Pentecost. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. Verse 27, when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to do what the law of Moses says should be done for a new baby, the Spirit told Simeon to go into the temple. Simeon took the baby Jesus in his arms and praised God. He said, Lord, I'm your servant, and now I can die in peace because you have kept your promise to me. With my own eyes, I have seen what you have done to save your people, and foreign nations will also see this. Your mighty people, or your mighty power, is a light for all nations, and it will bring honor to your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were, look at this verse, Jesus' parents were surprised at what Simeon had said. Really? Like, surprised? This is the couple that an angel came and spoke to them and said, you're going to have a child. You need to name him Jesus. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Don't leave her. Marry her anyway, Joseph. And then all the things that transpired up to that, the birth of this baby, the gifts that came, the angels that spoke, the star in the sky, all of that. And this guy comes to say, he's going to do everything that God said he was going to do. And yet they're surprised. Listen, I don't know about you, but for me, after all of that, I'm not surprised by nothing. I'm, yep, that's, that's him. I don't know. God said, and we're going to walk this out. I'm not surprised by anything. Let's keep going. Then he blessed him, this is Simeon, then he blessed him and told Mary, this child of yours will cause many people in Israel to fall and others to stand. The child will be like a warning sign. Many people will reject him. And you, Mary, will suffer as though you had been stabbed by a dagger. But all of this will show what people are really thinking. If you ever really want to know what somebody is thinking, ask them about Jesus. That's, that's, that's when you get to see really where somebody's at. Verse 36, the prophet Anna was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. And in her youth, she had been married for seven years, but her husband died. And now she was 84 years old. Night and day, she served God in the temple by praying and often going without eating. At that time, Anna came in and praised God, and she spoke about the child Jesus to everyone who hoped for Jerusalem to be set free. And here's the point. This is where I'm going. Verse 39. After Joseph and Mary had done everything that the law of the Lord commands, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. Look at this verse. The child Jesus grew. He became strong and wise, and God blessed him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, wait a minute. You mean to tell me we've got all of this detail about his birth? 
All of this detail about the miraculous, this little bit of crazy things that happened at the temple after, and then you're going to go straight from there, and I don't hear about Jesus until he's 12 years old? Like, it goes, there's nothing that happens during this whole time. There's, there's nothing at all we're going to know about this. Forget the first day after Christmas. What happened to the first 12 years after Christmas? Parents, am I the only one that would have preferred just at least a chapter or two on what it was like to raise toddler Jesus? I mean, did he ever throw a fit in the market? Like, did, did Mary just have to walk off and leave him to himself? Is he, no, nobody else? Did Jesus ever hit one of his siblings when they took a toy from him? Any, anybody else like that wonder why we don't have? I think Mary and Joseph, having raised the Messiah, should have written at least something in here to show us about those early years. Was his first word mine, like my children? Or do you think it was legitimately like, no, mommy, thy will be done? You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it, but scripture just, it's like we have all of this amazing things. You follow me? And then nothing. Nothing of note. It's like everything was leading up to the moment and then nothing. I don't get it. We go, we go from this amazing story and all these details and then we're left with this one sentence to cover us for the next 12 years. He grew, he became strong and wise and God blessed him. One blip on the radar at 12 years old and then back to nothing, the same old day in, day out, Nothing worth mentioning until his ministry begins at 30 years old and most of the gospel stories pick up. The days after Christmas, what happens when Jesus comes into your life? After that miraculous day, what do we do next? What do we do when things have changed on the inside but nothing has changed on the outside? How do you keep from being discouraged when the days that follow your conversion aren't as exciting as the days leading up to it? Remember, Scripture only tells us Jesus grew, he became strong and wise, and God blessed him. I want to give you just a few thoughts today on how to grow, how to become strong and wise, and how to see God's blessing on your life once you become a Christian. Do I have your attention yet? Are you ready to go and dig in to the Word today? Let's do that. Here's number one. This is the first thing I would tell you. Guard your appetite. Feed on the right things. In the days that follow Christ coming into your life, you go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. And you start to develop different appetites for things. And you need to nourish the right appetites. I was sitting with a good friend of mine, uh, another pastor. His name is Chris Lerma. And he was a mentor uh, for many years in my life. And years ago, we were having a conversation. He just stops mid-sentence. He says, man. I could sure go for a rice cake right now. I remember thinking, wait, what? Like, you're craving a rice cake? I said, PC, hold up. I have craved cheeseburgers, chili cheese dogs, milkshakes, chocolate cake, cheesecake, jambalaya, gumbo. Uh, and I just went down the list and I said, I have never in my life craved a rice cake. What in the world? are you talking about? And he said, yeah, man, listen, you crave those things because you eat those things. And then he said something to me that was so profound, I'll never forget it. He said, what you put in your mouth, you will eventually crave. He says, if you'll start eating like that, you'll start craving that. 
And I know oftentimes as a new believer, as somebody walking in the days after Christ comes into our life, there are things that it doesn't feel like we should crave yet. I know I should read my Bible. I just don't want to. I, I, I know I should get up and pray. I just don't feel like I can. And, and what I'm telling you is if you'll guard your appetite, if you will feed on the things you know are healthy to you, they will help you and you'll eventually crave those things. Guard your music. Guard the lyrics that you listen to. How about the movies that you watch and social media, news, websites? Am I stepping on any toes yet? How, how, do you, how do you make sure this thing works out the way God intends so you don't have just this big, huge moment with Jesus and then nothing in your life of mention? Number one, guard your appetite. Feed on the right things. Here's number two, stay clean. Practice makes imperfect. Practice makes imperfect. Are you sure you're saying that right, Pastor Don? Listen, I need you to understand the relationship between being righteous and staying clean. When you're born again, you stand before God justified. I love saying it this way, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. I'm righteous before God. You cannot do anything to earn your salvation, and there's nothing you can do to remove yourself from the eternal grip of our loving Father once you're born again. But listen, we're imperfect, and we fall short, and we will fall short. And when sin will come into our lives, it's important that we confess that sin to God so that we can stay clean before him. I tell my children this often, there is nothing you can do to stop being my child. There's nothing you can do that will affect my love for you. Now, there's a lot you can do that will affect my ability to have fellowship with you and a lot that you can do that will affect the amount of blessings from my life that get to come into yours. But there is nothing you can do to separate you from being my child. And as a born-again believer, my relationship with God is secure. I can always come back when I fall. But my fellowship with God needs protecting and regular cleansing. Regular cleansing. First John 1 John 1.9 tells us this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you know it takes a lot of practice to be imperfect? You can try and you'll never measure up to be imperfect. Can I tell you that's not the goal? The goal of Christianity is not to be, is not to be perfect. It's to be as imperfect as you can, loving and trusting and living with a Savior who knows how imperfect we are. And I'm so grateful to serve a God that's okay with me being imperfect and has provided a way through his son Jesus for me to live and to cleanse myself as life goes on. Y'all with me today? Y'all following? How, what do we do the days after Christmas? How do, we, how do we live this life? We're thinking about the next year. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live this Christian Life. Here's number three, I would tell you. Start new habits and end old ones. The definition of, of insanity, I'm sure you've heard this, is doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result. Man, we fall into that easily, don't we? Do the same thing over and over again. God, I'll, I'll never do that again. Again. God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I won't ever say that again again can I just tell you let me help you 
If going there causes you to want to do those things, stop going there. Stop going there. If watching that causes you to have those thoughts, look at me. Stop watching that. I'm not making light of it. This is a real deal. And if being around those people makes you want to behave that way, stop being around those people. You're a new creation. And it's important that we start acting like it. Look at what Matthew 5, 29 through 30 says. If your right eye causes you to sin, poke it out and throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to end up in hell. These are the words of Jesus. If your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off and throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. What's Jesus saying? You should have a tenacity over your new creation life to say, I'm going to protect it as much as I can. It's important that you start new habits and end old habits. Number four, make new friends. Get in a group. Make new friends. Addiction specialists will tell you that it's nearly impossible to stop a bad habit, cold turkey. It's not, most people don't, don't survive that transition of trying to say, well, I've got this bad habit and I'm just going to stop it. Here's what they'll tell you to do. It's better and more successful. And most people usually survive bad habits if they will replace them with a better habit. Just replace it. Take the time you would normally spend doing with this thing and do this thing instead. And if you will replace those habits They will be helpful to you. Listen, we all have a limited amount of capacity for friendships and relationships in our life. And one of the biggest mistakes I hear people tell me when they come to Christ for the first time is think, God wants me to leave all my friends away, and I'm just going to be lonely without any new friends until I make new friends to begin with. Can I tell you, that's not God's plan. That's not how you have to do this. Just start making one new friend. And just watch. Get the right person in your life and get a second right person and get a third right person in your life. And eventually, those wrong relationships will start falling off. You only have a limited amount of capacity. And when you pour in new healthy relationships, the old healthy relationships will fall away and you'll never be lonely. We tell you all the time, get in a group. Why? Because that's where you find the relationships. That's where you find the relationships that will help you. Getting in a group here at church is the best way for you to make new friendships that will help you grow, that help you become strong and wise and see God's blessing on your life. And there's something about walking with others that allows you and allows you to get your eyes off yourself and to start seeing God and what he's wanting to do in your life. Get in a group. Number five. Keep your heart up by your hands out. Start serving. Pastor Don, what do you mean? Keep your heart up and your hands out. Start serving. I'm talking about how do you live this life successfully? How do you be a successful Christian? How do you make sure that you don't have this big crescendo of a day with Jesus when you're born again, and then it fizzles out to nothing and you struggle the rest of your life? One of the best ways to do this is by keeping your heart up by your hands out 
and serving. There's a thing called hand-eye coordination. Have you heard it before? Hand-eye coordination is very simple. It's where you put your eyes, your hands will learn to follow. And can I tell you, there's also this thing called hand-heart coordination. And where you put your hands, your heart will eventually follow. Where you put your hands, your heart will eventually follow. Matthew chapter 6, you've heard it before. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Look what the message translation says when it, when it, when it, when it talks about it. It says this. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Where you put your hands will determine where your heart will go. Man, I wish I, wish I was just the kind of person that wanted to be in church all the time. Well, how about you put your hands on some things that are going on? I wish I was the kind of person that was always caring and thinking about other people and not so much thinking about myself. Let's start by putting our hands to things that bless other people. And it's amazing when you see how your hands will lead and your heart will follow with that. It's fascinating. Can I tell you, our dream team on Sunday morning, there's so much more than people who just, who just volunteer that help us. You see people at the doors and, and loving on your kids and going out in the community and serving and, and all of those things, changing diapers in the nursery. You'd think we have them bribed somehow, like we've got their arm twisted behind their back and you've got to do this. And I tell you, it doesn't work that way. These are people who have got in and put their hands to something so much bigger than themselves. And at the end of the day, they go, yes. It's not a have to, it's a get to. Can I tell you that door that we have out there in the foyer? It doesn't need a greeter. You can open that door just fine all by yourself. You can find your way through and come in the sanctuary like you do every single week. I tell our team this all the time. That door doesn't need a greeter. That greeter needs a door. That greeter needs a door. That person needs something to put their hands to to know I'm a part of something bigger than just myself. If I don't show up, somebody's going to miss me there's going to be a door that's not covered. There's going to be a diaper not changed. There's going to be a little one that doesn't get that fist bump from me and that high five when I'm playing in the room. That usher needs that bucket. That bucket doesn't need that usher. That nursery worker needs a baby to put her hands on and share the love that Jesus has put inside of her. Can I tell you, it keeps your heart right when you keep your hands out. And I want that for you so bad, so bad to know, how do I live a successful Christian life? How do I grow? How do I get strong? How do I get wise when I do this? And when you show up and you serve at our outreaches in our community, when you go to Johnson Hopkins, can I tell you who was really blessed at Johnson Hopkins? Yes, those kids were blessed, but who was really blessed? Those who went. Those who went and served. Why do we keep creating these opportunities? Yes, we want to share Jesus with everybody out there. But I want to feed the thing that's inside of you that is growing. That's why we're out in our community. That's, we don't have to come up with ways to do this. Most of the outreaches and things that we're doing are not three of us sitting back in a room on a whiteboard saying, hmm, what can we do today? It's somebody that God has changed on the inside that says, hey, I know of a need and if a few of y'all would come with me, I think we could make a difference over here. And we say, sure, let's do it. What do you need? I want to help you this year. I want to help you grow in the days following Christmas so that you can be successful, so that you can grow and be strong and wise. Y'all with me so far? Y'all enjoying today getting something out of it? So finally, 
How do you grow in the days following Christ coming into your life? Here's the last thing I'll share with you. Make the same old boring shot. Let's talk about the compounding power of faithfulness. Can you hand me my tennis racket here, Dean? Thank you. Any tennis players in here? A few of you? I know Steve Como, big tennis player. Um, I'm not a phenomenal tennis player. I could hit the ball if you hit it to me. Where it goes from there, you know, I've got good hand-eye coordination, but the skill set isn't quite there. Here's, here's what I learn when I talk to people who play tennis about successful ways to win the game of tennis. How many of you like me to up your tennis game right here in church? The things you learn at Our Savior's Church will, will change your life. You don't win the game of tennis with a big, powerful serve every single time. And you don't win the game of tennis by making these great, amazing shots just inches above the net or, all, or right on the edge of the line. You, you see those in the highlight reels, but that's, that's not how you win the game of tennis. Those are fun and exciting, but you win the game of tennis by avoiding unforced errors. What are you saying, Pastor Don? You make the same old boring shot, the same one you can easily make 99% of the time, and if you will focus on making that same old boring shot more often than your opponent, your opponent will eventually mess up and that's how you win. Life is like tennis in that regard when you're trying to be a successful Christian. You will have moments where you make great serves and you will have moments where you put the ball just over the net or just inside the line. But 99% of the time, Christianity is just making the same old boring shot over and over again, every single day. The successful Christian life is not about the big moments, but it's about adding together all of the little boring moments, the not worth noting moments. It's the, I woke up today and I prayed and I went to work and I worked hard I love my wife, and I played with my kids, and I parented well, and I went to bed exhausted, and I got up the next day, and I prayed, and I read my Bible, and I worked hard. I got home, and I loved my wife, and I parented my kids, and I went to bed exhausted. How was your day, honey? It was good. It was good. Tell me about it. Well, I got up, and I prayed. I read my Bible and I went to work. I got home and I loved my wife. I played with my kids and parented them. And I went to bed exhausted. And it's that same old boring shot over and over again. There's nothing that you would write a highlight reel about or put on a plaque anywhere about the majority of days that I have in life. I would tell you my day looks just like this. I wake up pray and I read my Bible and I go to work and I work hard. I love my wife. And I parent my kids and I go to bed exhausted. Those kind of days take faith too, don't they? They do. Those kind of days take faith. Can I tell you what it means to be faithful? Look at this. 
Faithful is staying full of faith over time. That's how you do it. A lifetime of faithfulness consists of lots of ordinary moments of being faithful with the same old boring shot. And I'm sure if you'd been asked before service today, what does your pastor want for you? You may have answered a big, crazy come to Jesus moment. I'm sure you would have thought your pastor would have said, we want a day that nobody else could describe and I want that just for you. Can I tell you, that's not what I want for you as your pastor. I want a lifetime of just faithful, same old boring shots. I want you to wake up and I want you to pray. And I want you to read your Bible. And I want you to go to work. I want you to work hard. I want you to come home and I want you to love your spouse. Care for those kids. And I want you to go to bed exhausted, wrung out with the presence of God, ready and empty for the next morning for him to fill you again so that you can do it all over again. See, guys, it's the in-between that really makes the difference in a successful Christian life. It's not the big moments. And I just felt going into this new year that some of us may have been tired of the old, tired of the routine, tired of the mundane, wondering, when's the next big thing, God? And I wanted to encourage you that God's doing something in you that you'll have no idea until that next time comes. But what he's doing in the boring moments, what he's doing in the in-between, it will come up. You are planting seeds every single day that are growing and sprouting. And sometimes life moves so slow, you don't know God is moving in your life until you get there and you realize, I am nowhere near where I used to be. And if you'll do these same things that I've been encouraging you today, God will grow you. You'll become strong. You'll become wise. You'll see God's blessing in your life. In the days after Christmas, in the days following Christ coming into your life, as you look forward to this new year, here's what I want you to do. I want you to guard your appetite. I want you to stay clean. Start new habits. Make friends. Keep your heart up by your hands out. And make that same old boring shot every single day. And if you do that, look at me. I promise you'll grow. I promise God will move in your life. You'll become strong. You'll become wise. You will see God's blessing in your life more than you can contain it. Christianity is not won by the big shots. It's won by being faithful, having faith, full of faith over time. Can I invite you to bow your heads? I know a message like this causes us to look at our own lives and to see where we are and to take an inventory. And I want you to know that I prayed for you today. Prayed that God would speak, that yes, you'd hear my voice, but hear my words, but you'd hear his voice. That he would speak to you, that there may be one or more of the things that I shared today that you realize don't measure up to the kind of Christian God wants you to be, the life that he saved you for. You've been wondering, I'm here, but I don't know why. I don't have a purpose yet. I can't see the kingdom of God really rooted in my life, Pastor Don, the way that you're saying that it can be. 
I'm looking toward this new year and there's this longing in my heart. I don't know what it is. It's, I've got some unresolved contentment in my life right now. Church, can I suggest to you that that might just be God longing to be restored in relationship with you and that nothing else in your life will satisfy until you've made that right with him. And I want to pray with you today. I trust, the Bible tells us in John chapter 3 that you can't see the kingdom of heaven. You can't even enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. And I'm believing here today there's somebody that God has spoken to you, that your heart is open, and you see for the first time in a long time how much you need Christianity. And you weren't sure if you could do it. You weren't sure if you had enough of what it took, if you could be that kind of person. And I'm hoping today you understood from your pastor that it's not about being perfect. Matter of fact, we're all imperfect. And I'm praying you were encouraged today, that tugging on your heart to make it right with God, to know that he's not looking for the big shots. He's looking for you just to get up every day and to pray and to read your Bible and to go to work and to work hard and to love your spouse and parent your kids. And, and that would be successful. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I, I want to have that relationship with Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm here today and I need to admit that there's sin in my life and it has separated me from God. I need to admit my need for a Savior. Pastor Don, I'm ready to believe that Jesus came. And I had Christmas with my family yesterday, but I want to have a Christmas with my Savior today. For Christ to come into my life. I'm ready to confess him as Lord and Savior. The rest of the church around you today is praying for you. If that's you here today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to come forward or embarrass you in any way. I just want to know who I'm praying with today, who I've been praying for all morning long. If that's you today and you say, Pastor Don, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me to be born again today? Lift your hand right now on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? I prayed for you. When I walked in here this morning, I walked in the back of the pews while the worship team was practicing, and I said, God, I knew, I know that you've got an appointment with somebody today. And I don't know how many people are going to show up. I don't know how many people are going to be here but I'm believing for that one. And as you're there with your hand raised and you're listening to my voice, I want you to hear me as your pastor tell you, you can do this. You can do this. It is not too hard or beyond you. It's too hard and beyond you in yourself. But what Jesus wants to do in and through you is gonna change not just your life, but the lives around you. There are friends, there are family members that he's been waiting for you to take this step. And we're going to pray with you today, all of us today. I'm going to invite you to pray these words with me as I pray and all church family. We're going to pray together symbolic of the fact that this one person is not going to do this alone. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. 
I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again and to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, can we celebrate with that one?